Hey everyone, welcome back to Here in Apologetics. Super pumped to join us today to have Lucas from Deflate. We're going to be talking about the problem of evil. So Lucas, how's it going? I'm doing good. Thank you, Zach, for having me on. This is awesome. Yeah, I'm super excited for this conversation, just like surveying the problem of evil and talking about different issues related to it. But we'll get into the heavy stuff. Lucas, can you just talk a little bit about like who you are and what you do? Yeah. So I'm married to Denise. We've got three kids. We're originally from Switzerland, but we've lived in Beirut, Lebanon for the last, soon it's going to be 10 years. And uh, so, yeah, we co we're constantly involved in uh, like apologetics discussions. We have a Bible study for kind of skeptics and atheists that runs every uh, Thursday in a cafe in the city. Uh, we host discussion and like discussion events and debates with atheist clubs. And uh, yeah, then we're involved in all sorts of media work, both in, in English and uh, in Arabic, obviously. Yeah. Mm, so much fun. So what got you interested in like, obviously you have a YouTube channel also called Deflate. Like what got you interested in like apologetics and like starting a YouTube channel and like things like that? Yeah, well, the so this whole thing grew pretty naturally. So we around six or seven years ago, we started, again, this Bible study in Starbucks in Beirut. And, you know, most of the people who would come and still come are not believers. And then, you know, those apologetics questions, they pop up naturally. You know, why, again, why would God allow evil or, you know, questions more specifically related to the text? Could Jesus really walk on water and all that sort of stuff? And so that just got me naturally into you know, delving deeper into those uh, questions of, again, reliability of scripture and all sorts of other, again, apologetically relevant issues. And uh, we would regularly host at our place, uh, again, discussion nights with, with atheist clubs where, again, we, we talk through issues like, well, is there, you know, objective morality or is truth is there absolute truth and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and a couple of times people would suggest, well, Lucas, you should really put some of this stuff online or talk about some of this stuff online so that more people can benef benefit from it. And uh, yeah, but then it took some time for me to really kind of follow through with it. And uh, so last year I launched uh, that YouTube channel where I basically, it's, it's very much, well, kind of doing the stuff that I do offline uh, bringing it online it, it's very much the case like we've we, we've been doing this like with with real people with real uh with a real community for years and now i'm just doing it online and it's 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 a lot of fun that's super cool um i have one more fun question for you before we get into the heavy stuff of the problem of evil uh so you mentioned you're from switzerland you live in lebanon yeah. you're speaking yeah. english so i'm just running through my mind like how many languages can you speak so we got swiss english arabic like well, like that's it. Well, yeah, that's about it. It doesn't get more impressive than <laughs> that. I'm sorry. So I just do. I mean, I was uh, I we used to take French at school in Switzerland because French mm -hmm. is one of the official languages. So you have to take French. But I mean, I well, I haven't spoken French in like, I don't know, 15 years. So the language I use most is English. A lot of the people here, they would, you know, converse and have these discussions in English because they themselves, you know, watch, you know, Richard Dawkins or Cosmic Skeptic or whoever in English. So, um, yeah, a lot of the stuff we do is in English. And then, uh, again, some of it is in Arabic, obviously. And uh, we've done Bible studies in Arabic, too. But most of the crowd we're reaching, they're actually English speaker. Well, they speak English, even though they're Lebanese in origin. It's mm -hmm. so Europeans and like people like obviously anyone outside the US amazes me with all the languages they speak. Like I was watching the Champions League and like Romelo Lukaku. I don't know if you know who that is. Um, he's <laughs> yeah. a soccer player and it's like they listed his like on his form. It's like he speaks like like ten different languages. And I'm like, 
Oh yeah. my gosh, like my lowly yeah. American only can speak English. Like I'm so like privileged <laughs> or whatever. So that's just always amazing. Yeah. yeah, so we're gonna be talking now about like the problem of evil, Lucas. So like in a general sense, how do you approach the problem of evil? Yeah, well, I think the first thing to be aware of is that there is no one problem of evil. There are several problems of evil and they each require a different solution. You know, when, when you talk about moral evil, you know, people doing harm to each other and you want to give an account for that. Well, that's going to look pretty different from you giving, a, giving an account for why there is natural evil. You know, why do earthquakes, earthquakes happen and why do people die in tsunamis and that sort of stuff? Well, you know, you can't answer these two questions, although both of them deal with the problem of evil, you can't answer them in the same way. So that's why I think the important thing to catch right off the bat is that Again, there is no one problem of evil. There are several problems of evil, and they each require a different approach in how you answer them. And then, like on top of all of it, I think the key thing to be aware of is that most people, well, you know, some, some people ask the question of, you know, the problem of evil from a purely philosophical or intellectual angle. They want to figure out, well, how does this work? But then I guess... At a deeper level, many many people ask the question because they themselves have suffered, you know, or they may have loved ones who have suffered what they would think, you know, unjust to be unjust suffering. And so I think there is this more, you know, existential slash emotional angle to the problem of evil, which 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 requires a very like yet a very different approach. You know, I think people who have suffered and raised the question of, well, why did this happen to me? they may not actually be interested in you giving them a neat philosophical answer, but what they may really actually be asking for is for someone to really care for them and for someone to, to I don't know, to hug them and, and cry with them. So I guess that's, that's the most important thing when you talk about the problem of evil. Well, what problem are you talking about exactly? I think it's, it's, it's key. I think it's helpful to like identify like the category of problem. Like one time I was talking with a non-believer and he talked about like, uh, we we're talking about like fine tuning or something. And he's like, well, what about like, yeah. um, like animal suffering? Like the, like, like why would yeah. I use like an evolutionary process or like allow an old earth to like a bunch of evolution? And it's just with all the suffering and death. And it's like, okay, it's like, what are you like, what are you trying to say? Like, is this like, um, you seen this is just like impossible that God would allow this or inconsistent or like, um, like what exactly is the problem here? Because I think in these discussions, it's super helpful to like what you're saying, Lucas, to really identify what the actual problem is when, yeah. we're, when we're talking about the problem of evil. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know the the you know I think the problem of evil is a problem for the theist. It is a problem for the Christian. It is not. It is not so much a pro. Well, we we can talk about that, but it is it, it is on the theist or, or the Christian to give an account, to give mm -hmm. a theodicy. Whereas for the atheist, if he or she is being consistent, you know, it shouldn't be a problem because he doesn't or she doesn't deal with an omnipotent, omnibenevolent God as part of his or her worldview. Uh, but, but again, even so, again, the Christian shouldn't feel the pressure of having to give one fits all kind of answer because they're, they, again, the problem of animal suffering is a very different one than the problem of, again, human suffering or, or, or uh, again, the emotional problem of evil and all that. Yeah, it's super great, Lucas. Thank you. So what we're gonna do now is we're gonna start with moral evil and then talk about natural evil, um, like breaking it up. So like, when we're looking at the problem of like moral evil, whether it's like, we're talking about things like committed by humans to say like murder or stealing or torture, like all these horrific things that happen 
uh, pretty frequently. Like, um, why do you think there's moral evil? Like, how do you approach, like, kind of looking at this side of things, Lucas? Yeah, well, you know, I guess to, to, to put it most succinctly, I would say that, well, there is evil because people are sinful, you know, and I think mm -hmm. it was David Berlinsky who said, I mean, he's an even, I mean, he's not a Christian. He's, a, he's, a, I think he, he describes himself as an agnostic, um, agnostic slash atheist. Well, he said, you know, if there is any one doctrine, any one doc Christian doctrine that has been proven true over the past century, it's the doctrine of original sin. Because when mm -hmm. you look at all the atrocities that have happened over the past, uh, you know, couple of decades, well, it seems, it really does seem that there is, you know, there is something really wrong with human nature. And that's obviously what the Bible says, you know, <laughs> you, yeah. you know, that there's something wrong with us. It's not just that we do wrong things but there's something wrong with our nature and we, we don't seem to be able to save ourselves from ourselves so in this so again to to kind of to pin it down to this one thing I, I guess there is moral evil because we're we're sinful and we need you know we need renewal and we need to be regenerated and uh, yeah we like by god's grace to be turned into a new creation because we can't we can't be good <laughs> you know we're we're we, we we may do good things every now and then, but we are still you know corrupted. Uh, that's at least what the Bible tells us. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I was just reading this morning about um, C. E. M. Jode. So I think he was like a philosopher in like the 20th century, and he was um, like Christian upbringing, and then he goes through like a deconversion, like pre World War II, and then he witnesses like the horrific sufferings of World War II and like the Holocaust and these things like this, and he's like this just shows like Christianity's right about like the depravity of man. Like humans are these like really messed up creatures. And he ended up like, praise God, to, like coming back to the church, realizing that like, yeah. yeah, we're really messed up. And like, yeah. So like when we look at yeah. like moral evil, I think it's super helpful to like reflect on that. It's like, yeah, humans are pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, you know, the other thing is obviously when you raise, and so that's why I said, you know, we can discuss whether atheists have a problem of evil too or not. I mean, if you, by raising the problem of evil, like anyone who raises that problem and cries out and says, well, you know, this genocide was not supposed to happen. And, you know, systematic, I don't know, sexual exploitation is not supposed to happen. And like, this is evil. Like every, anyone, everyone who raises this issue is saying that there is essentially saying that there is a certain way things are supposed to be. You know, there's a certain standard according to which things should happen and human beings should behave. So, and that standard, obviously, well, again, when you spin this further, it, it is very difficult to, to, to argue for such a standard or to assume such a standard without having a divine mind or a God figure in your worldview. And so um, in this sense, if you really want to talk about the problem of evil, you have to assume, I believe, if you want to be consistent, you, you have to assume the theistic standpoint, you know, because, yeah. you know, if, if you, and that's why, I mean, I, I, want, I recently reviewed on my channel a conversation between Stephen Fry and Jordan Peterson, and they talked about the problem of evil. And then Stephen Fry, and I appreciated that a lot, he said, well, there is no problem of evil for me because I'm an atheist, and he does call himself an atheist, not just an agnostic. He says, well, I, I, I am not entitled or I have no ground to talk about the problem of evil because for me as an atheist well things just turned out the way they turned out you know mm. and, and there is nothing wrong with someone like i don't know an animal killing another animal and then you a human being killing another human being it just happens that 
this stuff, you know, occurs. So, so that, here's the thing. If, if as an atheist you want to be consistent, I believe, you can only raise, you know, you, you cannot raise the problem of evil without leaving your atheist turf on which you stand, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's why uh, the atheist position consistently lift out means that you, you have to deny that there is such a thing as evil. It's just nature and natural selection taking its place as, you know, as we go through, as we go through life. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, I, I, yeah. I, I, I think it's, that's important to, to kind of catch you. Once you talk about the problem of evil, you're, you, you find yourself on theistic turf, so to speak, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about soon, like, does the existence of evil, like, prove or point to God um, in a little bit. But I do think you make a yeah. really good point, Lucas, because, uh, like, you referenced Stephen Fry, and I haven't listened to this conversation where he talks about, like, um, either, like, he doesn't have a problem of evil, which is, like, fine in one sense of, like, sure, like, you, you know, you can say, like, indifference better predicts this. But then we have this question of, well, if evil is such a problem, like, and I don't use this as, like, some sort of, like, decisive defeater where I can, like, destroy the problem of evil, but it's just something I reflect on a lot where it's, like, well, if evil is just such a problem, like, why don't we just destroy everything? Like, we have the capacity yeah. um, to wipe out the rainforest, to wipe out, like, our own, or our own existence. Like, we have that within us, and if, like, evil is just such this terrible thing, why don't we just do this? We could get rid of all the human evil, all the animal suffering right now. Like, it's in our capacity, and it's because, well, it seems like everyone, like, with our intuitions knows that, like, life is good like despite our evils um things we experience like there is this like greater good of life that trumps over these evils so i don't see that as like a defeater but it's like we also have for the atheist like there's this problem of like we have a universe that seems better than it is worse um yeah 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 Yeah, i mean i completely agree there's the problem of evil but there's also the problem of good if you want i mean as as much as the problem of evil and kind of that's what i you know, in, in my response, I did to cosmic skeptic uh, mm-hmm. when it came to animal suffering. I, that's that's part of my my point as well. Yeah, okay, sure, there is animal suffering, but like, how are you going to account for all the good that animals experience? You know, if if you're going to make the case that all suffering point is a, is you know is a strike against God, well, then you really have to conceive that all good and all beauty is a strike for God and against atheism. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's, it, there's the problem of evil, but there's the problem of good and the, of the beautiful, mm. if you want to call it that. Yeah, that's great. That's really great. Um, so before we get into natural evil in a second, like, is there anything else with regards to moral evil? Like, we could talk about, like, specific cases, like, you know, like, there's, like, the murder of someone or stealing or, like, all these horrific things. Would you chalk it up to something like human, human freedom and a fallen nature of, like, people inclined towards evil? Or is there other considerations you'd want to... Obviously, like the problem of evil, there's a lot of things that can be said. Um, but yeah. like, get into just the things. Yeah, I mean, I, so so generally speaking, and, and I guess your viewers are probably familiar with it. I mean, like usually how I would account for the problem of evil is with the free will defense. You know, it, it is. Mm-hmm. It, it. I do believe that God considered it a greater good, a greater moral good, to give human beings free will, so that true good and true love is a possibility, which obviously includes once you give agents free will the the real possibility slash risk that evil would come out of it with it's basically you know a, a non uh, like non-conformity to the standard that god to the good standard that god sets up is evil and, mm. and so 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 that's yeah the free will defense basically says yeah i mean there's there's greater moral good to be gained from a world with free agents which includes the possibilities or, or which implies the possibility of evil 
but it also implies the possibility of real good, which no other world would uh, would would bring with. So mm. with with it. And um, what else was I going to say? Um, yeah. So so the free will defense. It's, sorry, I just it's slipped my mind. Um, yeah. I, well, I, I guess that, that that yeah that that's about it. It's it's it's, it's really the. the well, again, I know I got it. So the thing is, what I found interesting is that when you look, I guess here, here's what I think bolsters the free will defense, culturally speaking, is that when you look, when you watch, like any movie you watch or any, you know, pop song you listen to or any, well, anything that's happening out there in, 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 in contemporary culture, it seems to me that there are two values which everyone is, it, like, esteems higher than anything else one is autonomy human autonomy you know i want to do what i want to do uh, i want to be the master of my destiny and second it's it's love everyone wants to you know everyone wants to be loved and, and loved so it's these two things that they go together it's i want to be my own boss and decide over the course of my life and but i also want to be loved and i, I want love and so this is exactly what the free will defense says. Well, that's exactly what God offered you. You have full autonomy to do what you want to do. God has not programmed you to love him or to do good. You may do whatever you want, you know, mm. because it's the only thing. It's the, the it's the prerequisite for there being true love so that you can get that 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 second thing being being truly loved. You need to be mm. autonomous and decide to love. So so yeah, there you go. That's exactly what the free will defense is saying. It's exactly it, it feeds to that I would say contemporary hunger for autonomy and for the free will defense as well. Yeah, sure. There you go. That's what you have, but that's why you also have all the evil, you know. Mm. Yeah, that's super great. I appreciate that, Lucas. And now we'll um, talk about natural evil, another like important thing. So we're looking at things like um, potentially like we have questions about like, well, why would God allow like hurricanes or earthquakes today? Or you could look at like the problem of like, why is there animal suffering today? Or if you like, unless you're like a young earth creationist, you're gonna have to deal with the problem of um, animal suffering and death for millions of years before Adam and Eve ever walked foot on the earth. So when we're looking at like natural evil, Lucas, like how do you approach this um, kind of challenge? Yeah. Well, let me split it up into two things. One is just animal suffering, like animal suffering in general. And then natural evil, again, earthquakes and, and whatnot, which, which affects human beings as well, not just animals. As, as far as animal suffering is concerned, so, so here's like a couple of honest admissions. I have not greatly looked, I have, you know, into this issue. And I mean, I've, I mean I, I, I've done some studies around it, especially uh, in the course of responding to Cosmic Skeptics' biggest case against Christianity. Uh, but, but that, I know that I have to delve into this more. But the key thing that struck me as I looked into this is the following. And I, again, I mentioned this in one of my videos. 95% of all animals are invertebrates. They, that means they don't have a backbone. Okay, they don't have a vertebrate. <laughs> so they're invertebrates. So like snails or, uh, I don't know, uh, jellyfish. and So these kind of creatures, 95% of all animals are like that. And biologists are hugely divided over the topic of whether these animals can, be, can even feel pain. And, you know, for example, crabs and lobsters, which are, I don't know, lobsters, they're, you know, they're, they're put into boiling water uh, in, as, as they are cooked and served, I don't know, in Far East Asia and stuff or in Mediterranean countries. The reason why people do that is because, you know, it seems horrific from the outside. 
But many people say, well, the reason why we can do that is exactly because these these animals, they don't actually have uh, sensors to feel pain. And that's why we can actually put them into boiling water. So uh, here's what I'm saying. It's given that, that scientists are divided and, and far from certain that invertebrate animals can feel pain, it immediately relativizes the whole problem because you're t talking about nearly what, like you're 95% of all animals, which possibly may not ever be feeling pain the way we do. So it seems like, you know, um, like anyone who advances the case that animal suffering is, you know, a problem for the theist or the Christian, well, has to contend with the fact that, well, maybe there may not be such a big problem anyway, you know, because mm -hmm. most animals yeah. may not actually feel pain in the first place. Mm -hmm. that's, that's as far as animal suffering is concerned. As far as earthquakes and hurricanes and that sort of stuff, I would, so I, I would answer this with uh, like, a, like an appeal to how design works. So if mm -hmm. God designed the planet or des des designed the universe, like what does design mean? Design means, you know, optimizing an overall structure so that it serves several goals at the same time. And this implies having to, you know, deal with trade-offs in certain singular aspects of your design. Let me give you an example. If you, if you want to design a car, if you go for the fastest car possible, you may not be able to build a, a car that is safe. You know, if you want like perfect uh, aerodynamics and uh, like perfect speed so that you get the fastest car possible, well, you have to, you, you, you will deal with trade-offs in terms of safety because this, you know, with the car, a car that, that has like the least resistance as it speeds, you know, as it speeds up and stuff may not be built so that it is safe once it, when it gets hit. In the same way, if we want to build a car that has maximum safety, it may it will probably turn out so bulky that it ha will have zero speed. You know, it will be of no use for you to kind of drive fast. Now, designing means taking into consideration, or intelligent design, if you want, means to take into consideration different factors and optimize each factor so that overall speaking, you achieve, you know, uh, like an overall system that serves several purposes at one at the same time, uh, which means that it can't serve each single purpose perfectly or a hundred percent. And I believe that when the, the creation of the universe and of planet earth is such an example of, you know, intelligent design that has to deal with trade-offs in certain areas, for example, you know, for the, for the carbon cycle uh, to, for the carbon cycle to, to work, like tectonic shifts are important for there to be exchange in uh, aerial carbon and terrestrial carbon and all that sort of stuff. So it's not like, you know, earthquakes just happen, but they have, they have a crucial, they play a crucial part in how carbon is being recycled or carbon is being, you know, passed around in, in, in the overall system. And similarly, hurricanes and all that sort of stuff I mean, ultimately, and, and I mean, we can't go into details here, but ultimately these things, they are, they are, they are part of an overall system, uh, which, which, which is optimized. But again, which means that, well, you know, you may not get, you may not get perfect safety, but if you were to get perfect, I don't know, uh, you know, just 
perfect oxygen supply or carbon supply and whatnot, you you would have to kind of trade off against some other factor. So yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's really good, Lucas. Like I was thinking about this. Um really it's a really good point, especially with regards to um like this like ordered universe. Cause I think a lot of times, like especially when we're looking at like earthquakes and tsunamis, like we almost have to discuss like the problem of heaven in terms of like yeah. we look at like, well, why couldn't God like why wouldn't God just create like everyone in heaven or have a perfect universe? And if we point to things like human freedom or like soul building or things like this, like, yeah. well, then we're going to have to have some evil and we're going to have to have some natural evil in the world. And then we have to run into this question of like, where's the trade off between like allowing like um, these things that God wants to allow versus like um, minimizing suffering. And it's like really hard for me to see like, um, would the, like, would like, could God allow like a little bit less natural evil? Like, obviously yes. But like how much like of the greatest goods would he be taking away if he does that? And it's like, yeah. potentially like a lot of them, like things like bravery or honesty or um, yeah. like hard work. Like these are things that could be taken away if we have like too little natural yeah. evil, which is, you know, we don't want that. So, yeah. 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 And yeah, that's a good point. And I, I think, well, you know, I, here's something I, I need to mention anyway, since we're talking about the problem. Mm -hmm. of evil. I mean, the problem of evil is a real problem. You know, I, you know, it, it, it's not like uh, it is. And I do think it is the biggest problem for for the christian like there, there's no doubt about that it is the hardest objection to deal with so it's not like so i'm not i'm not claiming that with these answers anyway and we're summarizing here and, and painting with the broad strokes here it's, it's i'm not saying well the problem of evil has been dealt with you know everything is fine no it is it is a problem so just like let, let that just be said <laughs> but but yeah. then you know with what you just mentioned well couldn't there be less evil uh again people would say that typically uh mm -hmm. But but then I mean imagine if there was a world in which no I don't know no genocide like it, what is the the, the the most evil mm -hmm. evil anyway let's say it's genocide I don't know you know let's mm -hmm. say genocide is the most horrific thing uh, that that could happen morally speaking well okay imagine a world in which there are no genocides well in this world there would be something else that is the most horrific evil maybe I don't know uh, systematic sexual exploit exploitation so in this world everyone would say well wh why couldn't god have created a world in which there is no systematic sexual exploitation well okay let's have god let, let, let's have god create a world without that but in that in that third possible world something else would be the most horrific thing i don't know at some point you come to you, you deal with a world that has you know where uh you know, homicide is maybe the most evil thing. And then further down the road, I don't know, a paper cut is going to be the most evil thing. Or you hitting mm. your thumb with a hammer. And so this is called the tallest man dilemma. It's, you know, if, you, if you're just going to, you know, chip away the toughest thing in your possible world, well, there's always going to be a tough, a most evil and toughest thing. So it's like, and in this sense, what I'm saying mm. is anyone who makes that claim, I, I believe, the skeptic who makes that claim that God who could have created the world with at least no Holocaust or with at least no Rwandan genocide. Well, mm -hmm. this, 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 the skeptic would have to make an argument why, you know, what level of evil would be acceptable because any mm -hmm. world you end up with will have some most horrific evil. And so it's on the skeptic to offer like a world that's a, where he can say, well, there is actually, this is actually fine. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, and I think that's hard to do. Yeah, I think it's Peter Van Inwagen who brings up the point of like, well, like when does like a hurricane become bad? Is it like when thirty thousand people die? Is it twenty one yeah. twenty nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine? Like all the way down. Like it's hard to have that relevant difference between like what's like acceptable versus like that's what's not right. Acceptable. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. 
It's great. So let's get to the last point we're going to talk about today, which you hinted at a little bit already. But like, do you think the existence of evil, Lucas, like either like proves God or like points to the existence of God? Like, how would you approach that question? Yeah, well, I think if you actually deal with it, again, it's, I, I can understand everyone. Again, especially when people have gone through horrific things themselves. I, I understand mm-hmm. people, or I try to understand people who say that, well, I, I just can't believe in God. These, these things they've been too horrific in my own life. You know, I, I find it hard to really believe that God loves me, given that he has allowed to uh, for these things to happen. So I understand that. But I think once you dig into it, it again, philosophically, I do think that ultimately, again, if you want to talk about the problem of evil, you can only do so if you, you know, like put yourself on the turf you know because mm, yeah <laughs> the problem of the problem of evil assumes like a standard that is good and a, a, a design according to which things are supposed to behave and, and be and so mm-hmm. you cannot do that in a naturalistic within a naturalistic framework it just doesn't it just doesn't work and so it, ultimately i do think i do think that the problem of evil well, it points to God, maybe you could say that, or it, I would say it has to be solved within the framework of theism, because it is only within the framework of theism that the problem can be legitimately raised as a problem. If you're in a naturalistic framework, there, there is no problem of evil. Nature just takes its course, and you are just an animal like all other animals out there. But once you, you use the term problem of evil, you, you have moved yourself into a theistic framework. And that's why, yes, it is a problem for sure. Like I ask myself, like, why does God allow these things to happen? Yes, these are problems. And again, they're philosophical, theological, and emotional problems. But, but you, you are within the theistic framework. And it is within that framework that you have to solve it. Because once you move out of the theistic framework, there is no problem, consistently speaking. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good. Because, like, I mean, like, sometimes I wonder with, like, when I read, like, an account of, like, the Holocaust or, like, the Rwandan genocide, I'm very, like, I read this and I just get disgusted. I'm like, this is wrong. Like, this is just, like, objectively wrong. It's not just subjectively wrong. Like, this is, like, objectively, like, yeah, you can't do that to people. And then, yeah. like, so for me, like, when I think about the problem of evil, it really points me to, like, really believe in, like, an absolute, like, moral, like, truth of things. And then, there's, for yeah. me, it's just the question of how can you connect that to God? And if you can, like, there's a really good case to be got for God to be made. Um, I think, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I believe, I believe, I, I, I'm fully with you on that, Zach. I, I, I believe it takes people time to get there. You know, mm-hmm. it, you know, the, you, I think people need time to digest this stuff and to actually realize that. The problem of evil again assumes a standard, and then to to realize that this standard can only be <clears throat> defended within a theistic framework, and all that. So this it, it takes time, but I, I do think ultimately it does point to God. Actually, mm. yeah, that's really good, um, Lucas. Before we get into, we'll do a little bit of Q and A here. So if you have questions, feel free to put them in the chat or whatever. Um, but Lucas, do you have anything else with regards to, like the problem of evil or things you need to say before we transition into a little bit of question and answers? Uh, well, you know, just one thing I say, I usually say that with the problem of evil, and I think this this is actually when people raise the problem of evil in, in real life conversations, this is usually how I start answering. I think, so I hope I don't take too much time here, but, no, but this is 
to me, this is key. Uh, this is, again, the problem of evil is mo for most people, ultimately, it's an emotional or you call it existential thing. It's not just an intellectual exercise to, well, let's solve the problem of evil kind of thing, or let's see whether this Christian can give me a good answer. It is a real problem. And I also think that people who actually suffer evil, they don't need philosophically sound answers to why they're suffering evil. That's not what you need. When you go through a, a tough time, the, the last thing you need, I think, or it at least comes pretty you know, low on the list, you, you, you don't need intellectual answers why bad stuff happened to you, why you didn't get this job, or why, you know, why you know, your aunt died of that cancer. You know, intellectual answers will really not cut it, I think. But you really need someone, I believe, when you're suffering, you need someone who, who says, well, I can actually feel with you. I know this is terrible and I'm here for you and I understand you and I, you know, I, I, I'm with you in it. That's what you need. You need community. And I believe the Christian faith of, in this sense, offers the most beautiful answer in the sense that it, it tells us that the ultimate, the ultimate reality, God himself, actually stepped down into our messiness and experienced suffering, you know, to its extreme on the cross. Mm. And so it's in Christ that God can say, well, you know, you may not have, like you, you know, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I know how it feels to be, to be even killed and to go through suffering. So I think this is, it makes for, I, I believe it makes for a very compelling case for Christianity, because there is no other system out there, either religious or philosophical, that can offer you an ultimate, an ultimate being, God, who will also say, and who can legitimately say, well, I've been there, you know, I've really mm. been there, but in Christ, God has been there. And so that's why, again, because I, I believe we, people who suffer, they cry out for community and empathy and understanding rather than for intellectual answers. And I, I believe Christ can offer exactly that. So I, I think this is important to keep in mind. Yeah, yeah, that's super great, Lucas. I was reading Athanasius's book on the incarnation uh, recently. I was just like, wow, yeah. oh my gosh, like this is beautiful. This is crazy. Like what a world yeah. we live in and praise God for um, the incarnation. So yeah. we're going to transition into a little bit of Q&A. Um, so we'll do questions, things like that. Obviously, we'll do super chats first. Or if you're a member, you should be able to have once a month have like a highlighted thing. So you can send that in. We'll do those first. Um, and I do want to say at this point, thank you to everyone who supports the channel. You can become a patron if you want at patreon.com slash apologetics or become a YouTube member. It's linked in the pin chat message, $1.99 a month. Your support helps a lot. And I do want to thank our new member, Tam Chris. So thank you so much, Chris, for becoming a member. We really appreciate your support. Um, but with that out of the way, uh, Josh Yen says Lucas has a killer hairstyle. So <laughs> we'll get to the highlighted yeah. note before we get into the series. Ah, well, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, I'm glad. I I'm think, glad you like it. <laughs> Maybe it's like to bash Americans, but like when I've been to Europe, I'm like, wow, Europeans are just so much more better dressed than Americans. But maybe it's no. just me. <laughs> I tell you yeah. what, I was actually I was actually filming for I was filming two videos yesterday, and I put uh, hair. I know and I never put hairspray, but yesterday I did, and I, but I didn't mm -hmm. I didn't I, I happened to not wash my hair overnight, so that's why it's flashy maybe. So usually it don't <laughs> look like that. But I, I I'm glad you think it's a killer hairstyle. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Okay, so we have a question from Harry Stark, which says, what does Lucas think of the updated problem of evil by Paul Draper? Um, you think it's been su successfully overcome by theistic philosophers? So I don't know if you're familiar with Draper's argument. I mean, he's different arguments, but I think more like the Bayesian sense or like the existence of evil is like more likely on like atheism or naturalism than it is on like theism. So not saying like there's like a flat like inconsistency, maybe. I don't know if you have any thoughts here. Yeah, so, uh, well like without wanting to get too much into details i mean well i remember again um like like alex like specifically with the re, with the with the with re, with reference to animal suffering he asked this probabilistic probabilistic question how much more probable is it to have animal suffering on an atheistic worldview than on an on a on a theistic worldview and i well again i i, I think again fundamentally speaking once you raise the problem as a problem, like you, you are, you are, you have maneuvered himself onto theistic ground. It's again, I believe that as long as, as you, you cannot raise evil as a problem, or you cannot even talk about evil, about moral evil. I believe, as long as you assume the naturalistic standpoint, because again, if there is no objective standard according to which things are supposed to be, which, which, you, which you simply don't get, I believe, on, on any non-theistic worldview. Well, then again, all you have is nature taking its course. It's, and, and again, that there is no problem. It's just the way things are. And so in this sense, I think, to a certain way, in a certain way, raising the probabilistic uh, kind of uh, argument it's, it, it, I, I, somehow it's cheating, you know, I, I believe, you know, because again, as, as long as you don't assume theism, you, you, I, it's as if you're not on the, in the right spot to talk about any problem. Mm. Yeah, thanks for that, Lucas. I do want to say like a little hint in about 11 hours from now, me and my friend Tim Howard invoking theism are going to be doing a response to Joe Schmidt on the problem of evolutionary evil. So and we have he's in Joe raises a very similar like Bayesian kind of argument in this short clip we're going to play. Um, and there's certain parts of like if you if like if you're an atheist or a Christian, and you accept evolution, there's certain mechanisms in like an evolutionary story if you accept it, that seemed very surprising under atheism, but not that surprising under theism. So there's a lot of fun stuff we're going to be talking about. It's a little hint there for another kind of uh, fun stuff. Um, we have a question from Exploring Reality, which says, fun stream, how do you handle questions, qu Lucas, questions like, well, why doesn't God just hold the system together instead of using flawed tectonic plates, uh, referring to the problem of natural evil? Yeah, well, again, I, I think part of it is, you, you know, ultimately, I don't know, and that's what I was trying to say. I can't, like, I, I, I don't know exactly why God designed the world the way He designed it. And you know, I like, like, mm -hmm. honestly speaking, yes, I ask myself too. Well, that, like, is it really necessary to have like such big hurricanes and tsunamis and earthquakes and whatnot? Um, but it's, so that's why I said it's with everything I'm saying here. I'm not claiming even for a second that I've, I'm solving the problem of evil. I'm, I'm just trying to come as close as possible to what hopefully looks like a solution. And again, the design argument, again, with the trade-offs and that sort of stuff is, is one way in which I would think about it. And yes, I mean, God could, you know, God could hold the system together and, and the plate or the tectonic plates together and do shifts and whatnot in ways that may not cause earth, earthquakes and stuff. But um yeah, there is also the other, you know, there's there's the other aspect of what you mentioned, Zach, of, of soul building and of, you know, 
natural evil evil possibly giving us the opportunity to grow in character and all of that stuff again this is not this is not offering a final answer to the problem but it's again trying to come as close as possible to understanding why things turned out the way they did mm. yeah I, i'll read i'll just add a little bit here because there's a really good quote from richard swinburne i like talking about this where like like this is what i come to like when i think about the problem of natural evil a lot of times it's like well it comes to the problem of heaven of like why wouldn't god just create a perfect world and here's what swinburne says about like the value of natural evils he says a particular natural evil such as physical pain gives us gives the sufferer a choice whether to endure it with patience or whether to bemoan his lot. His friend can choose whether to show sympathy towards the sufferer or whether to be callous. The pain makes possible these choices, which would not otherwise exist. There is no guarantee that the actions directed towards the pain will be good ones, but the pain gives the agents the opportunity to perform good actions. These good or bad actions, which we perform in the face of natural evil themselves, provide opportunities for further choice of good and evil stances towards the former actions. Swinburne is just basically saying, like, natural evils allow us to have good choices, um, to make good decisions, like things like bravery or compassion or sympathy, like things like this. Um, and yeah, so that's an important point to consider when we're thinking about this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, we have probably one more question here that will be re relevant for today from Harry Stark, which says, what do you think, Lucas, of the attempts of atheistic philosophers to get to ex objective morality? Because I think we both agree that like we very are strongly moved towards like like believing in an objective moral standard by evils. Yeah. Like, what do you think of like atheist attempts to try to make sense of this? Yeah, well, <laughs> to put it to put it briefly, I, I think they fail. I, I have to say, I, I want to one of one of the projects I have is I want to look more deeply into uh, into Wielenberg's philosophy because many people say that he is kind of well, he's his his approach is the strong one of the strongest ones, but ultimately I just well again you know, just the, the moral argument for God I believe it is a strong one in the sense that you really don't get to objective morality without well, without a divine figure that has authority or well call it a suprahuman figure that issues moral obligations because morality is ultimately a question of obligations it's well do's and don'ts and shoulds and shouldn'ts but no for, for such things to exist do's and don'ts you have to have a source of authority and unless that source of authority stands above humanity well who is to say you know who is to issue the do's and don'ts because we're all on the same level so I, it seems like it seems to me that you just need you you do need a higher authority source to issue uh, moral do's and don'ts, and so that that's why, again, any naturalistic uh, framework will fail because it doesn't have that. You know, it's, it it ends up with human beings, which I think in the end, in the end, it's just you know might makes right. You know, who who is to say what is right and wrong? If not, in the end, it's just going to be the most powerful, and uh, mm. and and. And there goes your morality. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, Lucas, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so grateful. You're worried about your internet um, and loving on. I'm glad it made it. Yeah. Um, do you have any kind of like last thoughts or things you get to say before we wrap things up here, Lucas? Uh, no, not really. I mean, this, this is, this is good fun. I hope, I hope you guys enjoyed it. It's good to see. Uh, thank you, Jesus. Harry Stark. I see these guys on my channel regularly, so it's it's awesome to see them uh, coming over here too. Yeah, that's good. Thanks, Zach, for having yeah. me. It was awesome.
Oh yeah, definitely. And to thank you um, to Harry Stark and Exploring Reality and Josh Yen and everyone else who joined in. Um, yeah, and you can check out Lucas's channel if you know my stuff but don't know Lucas. It's literally just added in the video description, so you can click and go there right now. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for coming on, Lucas. It's been so much fun. Uh, thank Thanks, you to everyone yeah. who tuned in, and thank you to all our supporters that make this thing happen. We value a lot. But yeah, thank you so much, Lucas, one last time. Really appreciate you and all your hard work. Thank you, man. It was awesome. And God, and God bless everyone. Have a good one.